Yes, indeed. One of these nights on KCOU 88.1 FM. KCU.FM on the FM link. And in the TuneIn Radio app, my name is Garrett Jones. Thrilled to be your host for this evening. Talking a little sports history. Recapping the weekend in college football. Sandwiching in a zoo sports snippet in between there as far as content for this show. Tonight I'm planning on talking about Missouri Vanderbilt and the nine other most inexplicable losses in college football history. In case you missed it, unfortunately, Missouri took a 21-14 loss to the previously 1-5 and Vanderbilt Commodores. An inexcusable game for Barry Odom and company. Season's not over for Mizzou, but I'll get into a little bit more of what happens from here. I'll finish the show talking about the MLB playoffs. Houston Astros clinch a spot in the 2019 Fall Classic. They will face the Washington Nationals on Tuesday night. Mizzou made Max Scherzer set to pitch for Washington. I do apologize for my tardiness this evening. Parking on a college campus remains one of my bottom 10 favorite things to do. Nonetheless, we are here. We're ready to go. We're locked in. Thank you so much for joining me this evening and inadvertently supporting student radio here at the University of Missouri. Jumping right into it. I mentioned it. Rough, rough game. For Missouri yesterday. Fortunately, they were not the only other team in college football the past couple weeks that's fallen to an upset. Missouri fell 21 to 14 in Nashville yesterday. Vanderbilt came in with a one in five record. They had previously lost to UNLV, that's University of Nevada, Las Vegas, 34 to 10 at home. That's not the last time we'll mention the Rebels in this segment. But it was still a marginal, to say the least, opponent for Missouri. Tigers were flying high, previously scoring 12, excuse me, scoring 30 points in 12 consecutive games, a streak that dated all the way back to last October and ended when they fell at the hands of the Kentucky Wildcats. Either way for Missouri, a spot they'll never, ever forget. Riley Neal, Vanderbilt's starter, was pulled in favor of Mo Hassan, a unheralded third stringer who played pretty well for Vanderbilt until a second-half targeting penalty on Tyree Gillespie knocked him out for the game. Either way, that's a team that Missouri should beat over and over again. Kelly Bryant and Tigers were flying high off a win over Ole Miss and homecoming last week, 38-27. Missouri was victorious then. Kelly Bryan and the Tigers really looked like they had built something. Tigers climbed all the way to number 22 in the rankings this week, only to tremendously disappoint against Derek Mason's squad. Keyshawn Vaughn had a big game receiving, a 61-yard touchdown to boot, and the Missouri offense was completely stagnant. That's one of our most inexplicable losses in college football history. Now, on this list, there are certain games that have taken place this year, including this week. The Tigers somehow weren't the team with the biggest black eye in the nation yesterday. Illinois, Missouri's arch rival in the sport of basketball, as you haven't played in almost a decade on the football field, but still, fighting a line that does not hold much favor in many Missouri fans' eyes. Number six, Wisconsin, came into the game giving up just 4.8 points per game. You heard that right. To this point in the season, week eight, 4.8 points per game. That included four shutouts. 
highlighted by a season opening 49 to nothing win over USF. They had also dominated Northwestern, humiliated Michigan, and shut out Big Ten opponents in Rutgers and Michigan State back-to-back weeks. But they came into Illinois looking for another huge win on the cusp of the college football playoff picture. They battle Ohio State this weekend in Columbus in a game that now holds a little less salt because the Badgers collapsed in the second half and lost in a walk-off field goal to the hapless Illinois Fighting Illini for the first signature win for Lovey Smith in his time as coach there in Urbana-Champaign. What an upset that was. Walk-off, 39-yard field goal for Josh McCord. It was no chip shot. You have to give Illinois some credit. They fought in the second half. They were the better team in the fourth quarter, and McCourt brings it all to a head with a game-winning field goal and a victory that Fighting Illini fans will never forget. But still, that's an upset that I don't think I'm alone here among college football pundits when I said I would have never seen that coming. Illinois has played a couple quarterbacks this year, notably Brandon Peters, Michigan transfer. He did not play very well yesterday. 12 incompletions to nine passes complete. Even then, it was enough for Illinois to squeak out a win. They beat Wisconsin 24-23 to in one of the most shocking games in recent college football history. Speaking of which, the week prior, you might have heard about it, South Carolina somehow went into Athens and beat Georgia on one of its worst days. The number three Bulldogs fall 20-17 to in overtime. Rodrigo Blankenship's potential game-tying field goal in double OT goes begging. And the Gamecocks played a good game from start to finish. Ryan Holinsky, a true freshman quarterback, filling in for Jake Bentley, who is injured for the rest of the season. Somehow, South Carolina gets a huge win and changes the landscape of the SEC East. So there's three from 2019 of the most inexplicable losses in college football history. Last year, there were a couple. Back in September, BYU beating none other than the very same Wisconsin Badgers. That game was shocking. The Cougars are known to be spoilers, especially this year. They beat number 14 Boise State last night, but that was an upset that some saw coming. Last year's game was completely inexplicable. Wisconsin was a team that had an undefeated regular season the year prior, was right on the cusp of the college football playoff conversation, but lost in the Big Ten championship game, ultimately to come back with loads of expectations, a stacked offensive line. Jonathan Taylor, one of the best players in the country, still is. He is just that dude. And even though they lost to Illinois yesterday, still a really solid performance for him. And in one of their first games of the season, Wisconsin loses at home, jump around and everything of the home field advantage to boot. They fall short against BYU. Elsewhere in 2018, the biggest upset against the spread ever. We mentioned the UNLV running Rebels and how they decapitated Vanderbilt last week. Eventually, the Commodores bounce back and beat Missouri in case you missed the start of our show. UNLV was so favored in this 2017 matchup that, ironically, Las Vegas didn't even bother having a point spread for it. Even then, some betting agencies listed UNLV as a 45-point favorite over Howard. The Bison visiting and what's commonly referred to as a buy game in the season opener for UNLV last year. Howard got $600,000 from the UNLV athletic department 
a part of college football's typical guarantee games where a small school receives money from a big school to travel to its stadium and nearly guarantees a win for the home team. But Howard in process spoiled the presumed beatdown. 330 total offensive yards, I should say, and three touchdowns from Kayla Newton. In case you recognize that that name, he's Cam Newton's younger brother. He helped the Bison earn a 43-40 stunning victory over their FBS opponent. And somehow UNLV paid $600,000 to lose the game that they were favored to win by 45. Ouch. That was August of last year. Jumping ahead, or should I say backwards a little bit, 2013, Georgia State 26, Florida 20. These were some bad Florida teams, folks. This was right on the cusp of the Jim McElwain area, right on the end of Will Muschamp's time at the helm for Florida. You know, something I didn't know was the fact that Georgia Southern has been an FBS school for quite some time now. And this game produced one of the most iconic calls in FBS history. I'm pulling it up for you here on YouTube. But Georgia Southern came into this game relatively unheralded. I got the audio for you here. Snap to Morningweg. Looking right. Moving. Looking. Throwing. Catch is made. And it's over and complete. Georgia Southern will win this one. The Eagles drain the swamp. Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year, Eagle Nation. Remember this day, November 23rd, 2013. Georgia Southern just beat Florida 26-20. to 20. Hey, now. I like that call. I, I always say my critique with that call as somebody who's pursuing the same field. I feel like he overloaded it a little bit, but, I mean, can you blame him? Like, that, that's probably the peak of his career right there. I'm not sure exactly the name of the commentator there. That was back in November of 2013 georgia southern went to florida drained the swamp as he said he also wished him a very happy thanksgiving a merry christmas which to be fair and i just now made this connection that was right around thanksgiving so i see what he was doing there so the more i think about this call the more i like it i digress georgia southern somehow went to the swamp and beat florida in another one of those bye games and a black eye that gator fans have not quite forgotten yet even though their program has returned to national supremacy 2010, Virginia Tech, they host Boise State and Landover, Maryland, and one of Kellen Moore's final games as quarterback for the Broncos. Virginia Tech comes up short in that game. Boise State continues to prove itself as a legitimate powerhouse in the FBS. But then six days later, a significant challenge awaited. James Madison... You might be familiar with the school in Richmond. They've developed into an FCS powerhouse in recent years. And in 2010, they were just starting to make their presence known. The Dukes went into Blacksburg and beat a Virginia Tech team that really didn't look like it wanted to be there at all. 21-16, to that was the first FCS loss in Virginia Tech school history. JMU used ball control to keep it out of Frank Beamer's team's hands. Later, though, Virginia Tech bounced back from the 0-2 start, made it all the way to the ACC title game where they would finish the job and become the first school ever 
to lose to an FCS team and go on to win a conference championship in the same season. I find that really, really interesting. Moving on, 2007, one of the most iconic years for college football upsets of all time. In case you're just now joining us, this is one of these nights. My name is Garrett Jones, breaking down some of the most unexplicable, inexplicable, I should say, losses in college football history after Missouri takes home a horrible 21-14 to loss from Nashville from Vanderbilt over the weekend. I know a lot about this game. have researched it quite a bit. It's one of the most iconic college football games of all time. September 2007, Appalachian State 34, Michigan 32. The Mountaineers go to the big house and record what commentator Tom Brenneman at the time said was the most iconic upset in college football history. This was the first game ever televised on the brand new Big Ten Network. Mike Hart and Michigan had returned off what was a productive 2006 season, hungry for more after falling to Ohio State. Hart was fixated in the Heisman Trophy conversation. But Appalachian State, and guys, they're not going away. The Mountaineers are ranked in the top 25. They drubbed Louisiana Monroe over the weekend. They have really firmly established themselves in the fun belt. The sun belt, for those who are less familiar with college football lingo. Anyway, you know the story. Appalachian State leads at halftime. They falter in the third quarter. Chad Henney finds Mario Manningham up the sideline in the fourth to set up what could be a game-winning field goal for Michigan, but it's blocked. Appalachian State nearly returns it for a touchdown, but instead they cut their losses and finish off the biggest upset in college football history, not to be outdone by their upset in North Carolina this year that looked remarkably similar in a victory over the Tar Heels that resulted in a blocked field goal for the win. Also in 2007, a game that's less heralded than that one, Stanford, unranked, a new coach. You might have heard of him, Jim Harbaugh. This game's always week two of the season in the Pac-12, so USC had firmly established its grip on the national scene and control out on the West Coast. This is from Sports Illustrated. Coming into this game, Stanford was a 41-point underdog against USC back in 2007. Redshirt sophomore, I should say, Tavita Pritchard was set to make his first career start for the Cardinal that day. USC was actually ranked second in this game, I beg your pardon. They entered the matchup riding a 35-game home winning streak, while Stanford held a 1-3 record and hadn't had a season, a winning season, I should say, in seven years. This Jim Harbaugh's first season as head coach, they forced five turnovers and blocked extra point to help keep the game close. But it was Pritchard who scored the 10-yard touchdown on fourth down with 49 seconds in the fourth that sealed the deal for the Cardinal win. What a game that was. Televised on the Versus Network. I'll never forget that call because I'm not even sure who the commentator was because, as you might know, Versus eventually turned into what's now Fox Sports 1 or NBC Sports Network. I have that mixed up in my head. I'm not quite sure. You might have to fact-check me on that one. But the commentator of that game accidentally says touchdown USC no Stanford when Pritchard scored that go-ahead score that's something that's probably going to plague him and bug him for the rest of his career but it does happen moving right along our last most inexplicable upset in college football history 1992 the Arkansas Razorbacks are playing their first game as members of the Southeastern Conference they scheduled the military school the Citadel 
thinking that it would be a really easy way to transition from the Southwestern Conference into the Southeastern Conference. They found themselves in a scoreless game, a classic defensive brawl going into the fourth quarter until the Citadel defensive end Judston Bamer scooped up a fumble, I should say, by Arkansas running back E.D. Jackson and took it to the house. Citadel had a late 7-0 lead on Arkansas at Fayetteville. Eventually, Arkansas ties the game. Bamer runs it in for the fumble, the scoop and score. That gives the Citadel the lead. The loss eventually prompted Arkansas Athletic Director Frank Boyles, a legend in his own right, to hire the head coach of the Citadel. His name was Jack Crow, who eventually went on to coach at Jacksonville State and engineer a fantastic upset of Ole Miss in 2005. So those were the 10 most inexplicable losses in college football history. Good way to get us started tonight. Hope you're willing to stick around for the rest of the show. I'll be right back with our Mizzou Sports Snippet, the best thing I saw this weekend, and then we'll finish off with an interesting question and a modern debate in Major League Baseball. Did the league change the baseballs they're using for the MLB postseason? Be right back with my thoughts after the break. KCOU would like to remind you that Missouri Tiger football and basketball are brought to you by El Rancho. Catch every Mizzou football game and Mizzou men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports. Are you ready for some high-octane talk? Do you live for the thrill of fast cars and close vendors? Then tune in to Burnin' Rubber every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM. Join Hal Estep and myself, Sterling Siemens, as we discuss the latest in NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, and other racing series from around the world. Don't miss the Can't Miss Motorsports Talk Show of Mizzou Student Radio. Burnin' Rubber, Thursdays at 8 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia. Hi, I'm Chris Mitchell. You know, that one guy from the one show. Don't you hate it when you're listening to the radio and not once do you hear anyone talk about video games for extended periods of time? Introducing Quarter Circle Backboard, a solo show dedicated to the sports that you like and the video games that I like. Catch me, myself, and I every Friday from 11 to midnight to hear me chop it up about things like Street Fighter tournaments, the NFL Draft, Red Dead Redemption, and hoops. What could possibly go wrong? Dum da da dum da da dum da 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 da
Welcome back. This is one of these nights on KCU 88.1 FM, KCU.FM, in the FM stream link and on the TuneIn Radio app. Speaking of Cowboys, I've got the game on in the studio right now. Dallas in control over Philadelphia, 21-7. The Eagles driving with the ball. In case you're on the road wondering what the score of that game is, please don't text and drive. I've got you covered. Don't ESPN app and drive either. 21-7 with 5.15 left before halftime. Dallas leads Philadelphia. Speaking of football, Tiger football on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM. In case you've already gotten over that loss to Vanderbilt over the weekend, you should be good to go nice and healed up from another Barry Odom disappointment by Saturday. Missouri back in action against Kentucky. We're sending a crew on the road to Lexington. Really cool opportunities here at KCU 88.1 FM. Road games back-to-back for our guys and gals and everyone in between. Pretty proud sports director here. They will be in action at 6.30 from Kroger Field. Be sure to tune in for Tiger pregame live at 6 o'clock and coverage all day long, more than you can need, on KCU 88.1 FM as part of Sports Saturday every single week here on KCOU. Per usual, always got to come through with my Mizzou sports snippet. I wanted to talk about something that really does not get discussed a lot in the grand scope of Mizzou sports. The Detroit to Mizzou basketball pipeline. This might be something you never heard of if you're a Mizzou basketball fan, especially a modern Mizzou basketball fan. But the name Rich Daly is one that holds a lot of weight in Mizzou basketball lore. He's the absolute best recruiter you've never heard of. Nicknamed Dr. Detroit, he helped establish a pipeline between Missouri and Michigan in the 1980s and early 1990s that helped establish Missouri as a fixture in the Big 8 power scene. In chronological order, he named significant talents like Lynn Hardy, Nathan Bunton, Lee Coward, Doug Smith, John McIntyre, and Jeff Warren for Coach Norm Stewart. Smith was obviously the biggest star of the bunch. Six foot ten, could score from just about everywhere on the floor. Basketball season just around the corner. We'll have coverage here on KCOU in just four days. Hard to believe. Missouri women's basketball tip off their game in an exhibition, and then the men's just a week after that. Warming you up for it here on one of these nights on KCOU 80.1 FM. Smith led the Tigers to two Big 8 titles, two tournament titles, and five NCAA tournaments. Pretty incredible output there. Daly was from Moberly, Missouri, nearby in the Columbia area. He helped guide Moberly Area Community College to some prowess there on the local basketball scene. Norm Stewart once said that he knows more about where players are from than anybody I know. And in a day where recruiting has changed so much, the landscape of college uh, sports, I should say, has switched on its head. He really brought a personal touch to the players. Stewart loved the Detroit players that Daly would scout for him and that pipeline that he helped establish. He said that the Detroit players brought, quote, an edge to his team that helped them win that slew of Big 8 titles. Eventually, Daly lost his job in 1992 when the NCAA Committee on Infractions charged him with unethical conduct, so maybe just a little too personal with his relationship that time. Not in a negative sense, but 
just in the sense that he violated NCAA rules. Nicknamed the Detroit Tigers, not anything to do with the baseball team, but just the pipeline of Detroit players that Daly helped establish. They gave Mizzou 6,170 points, 2,484 rebounds, 1,428 assists, over 603 games played for the black and gold in total. Rich Daly, the Detroit to Mizzou power pipeline highlighted by Doug Smith, a star recruiter out of Moberly, and a fixture on Norm Stewart's coaching staff, the same one that brought home multiple Big 8 tournament titles back in the late 80s and early 90s. That is our Mizzou Sports Stippet, as promised. A little briefer on this one this time, but I promise you're going to want to stick around for next week's show. Going to dig even deeper with a Mizzou Sports Stippet that people absolutely love to love in the football scope. And then we have an anniversary to get to. The three-year anniversary of Mahomes versus Mayfield, and I will leave it at that. October 27th, 2016, we'll be spending almost half of, excuse me, almost half of our time on the show next week covering the bases on that one. Now on to the best thing that I saw this weekend. As I mentioned, Mizzou basketball just around the corner from starting its season. That also means the NBA is just about ready to get underway. And my personal favorite team, the Dallas Mavericks, are hard at training camp, finishing up their postseason. Happy with the returning rookie of the year, Luka Doncic, and one of their biggest additions, additions, I should say, Boban Marjanovic. In case you don't know that name, he's from Serbia, Montenegro. He is all of seven foot four. The Mavs are now one of the tallest teams in the league, unequivocally. They have six, they, I should say, seven foot three, Kristaps Porzingis. And now they add Marjanovic, who is the tallest player in the league at seven foot four, unless that's changed. But Marjanovic set to hold down the center position. Doncic, the do it all combo guard for the Mavs. These two seem to have st- struck off a pretty strong friendship. Doncic hailing from Serbia as well. According to his Instagram, that's at Luka Doncic. The last two pictures that he's posted have both been with Boban, one of them when they were at a Mavs golfing outing. But the one I want to talk about, the best thing I saw this weekend was Doncic and Marjanovic cruising with the top down in an old Ford. I couldn't identify the car. I should have sent this to a friend of mine who knows cars backward and forward and can easily tell me. But it's an old baby blue Ford, not unlike Mavs colors, with Doncic driving, Marjanovic in the passenger seat, and Boban's head sticking out over the top of the windshield, Doncic cruising with his left fist only on the steering wheel, wearing blue sunglasses, and Boban just looking goofy with his head pointing out the top. Lucas captioned, cruising down the street in my 6-4, a reference to the famous song in the 1990s rap era. Straight out of Compton, I believe, was the album on that one. I, I very I very much apologize to any rap fans. I just offended with my ignorance there. I am a what I would call a very much rap ignorant person. <laughs> Not very familiar with the genre, though I can certainly respect it. Anyway, the best thing I saw this weekend, Luca and Boban, two very different players, 
riding with the top down in a baby blue Ford on a beautiful weekend in Dallas. A hilarious picture. You should try to look it up. I'm certainly excited to see what those two players do. And I love this recent friendship that they seem to have struck up. Very much looking forward to watching them play this season for the Dallas Mavericks. Coming up, we're going to finish our show off with a looming question that Major League Baseball is getting smacked in the face with right now. Did the league alter the baseballs that have been used in the 2019 Major League Baseball postseason? We'll dive deeply into that question and finish the show next. This is one of these nights on KCOU 88.1 FM. Triple Threat on KCOU 88.1 FM. Catch Kyle Jones. And so then he said, all right, well, if I can't wear my helmet, I'm not playing. Chance Dicklin. I think the Bama every single year is the best college football team. And Cole Toosie. If Trubisky can get it done, the Bears will win a Super Bowl. He's the key. Tune in every Thursday morning from 11 to noon, only on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, or on the TuneIn app. You don't want to miss it. KCLU is brought to you by MaxFix. Broken phone? You're in luck. Conveniently located in the MU Student Center behind the U.S. Bank, MaxFix provides a variety of technical services, including crack screen repair, battery replacement, and computer repair. To learn more about MaxFix, visit www.maxfixmazoo.com. For questions and quotes, call 573-219-7551. Let MaxFix take care of all your repair needs. Again, that number is 573-219-7551. Phi Sigma Pi National Honors Fraternity presents a night of music, entertainment, and philanthropy. The funds raised from this concert will benefit the Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Missouri. Featured acts include world record holder Mizzou Hacky Sack Man, post-sex nachos, and Mizzou Forte. You can check out our Facebook page for more information. Welcome back. This is one of these nights on KCU 88.1 FM. I'm your host, Garrett Jones, looking to wrap up your weekend and get you started on your week on a high note. Talking a little sports history here on the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. If you happen to be looking for live music for your event, look no further than KCU 88.1 FM. Whether it be an event for your student organization, a local business, or even a private party, let KCU's trained DJs provide the jams. Our DJs work with you to craft the right playlist for your event at an affordable price. For more information, contact Nash Walker at business at KCU.fm. That's business at KCU.fm. Speaking of Danger Zone, thank you, Mr. Kenny Loggins, for bringing us in from break. The MLB is in some hot water right now. Just because of the covert nature, I should say, of the baseballs that they've been using in recent years. This issue has really come to light in the 2019 postseason. In case you missed it last night, Jose Altuve's two-run home run in game six of the ALCS off a roll to Chapman ensured a four-game-to-two series win for the Houston Astros. They advanced to play the Washington Nationals starting Tuesday night at 7.08. Garrett Cole opposite Max Scherzer. The Nationals swept the hometown St. Louis Cardinals 
in four games, the National League Championship Series. This was a matchup that I didn't anticipate when the MLB postseason schedule came out. I didn't see it coming at all. I, Houston was my pick from the get-go. I had them over St. Louis, so I was pretty close not to toot my own horn. I did not see Washington beating Los Angeles. I frankly hardly saw Washington winning the wild card game. I thought that they would win the wild card game and then lose in pretty quick order to the Dodgers, but a lot of problems for Dave Rogers, Dave Roberts' bunch, I should say. They were bounced in five to these very nationals. A lot of storylines to get into in the World Series. It should be great. I'm really excited to watch it. I've spent more time watching the MLB postseason this year than I have in very recent years. But one of the biggest questions raised by a Twitter account at MLB Random Stats and a YouTuber by the name of Giraffneck Mark has highlighted a significant issue for Major League Baseball. And it raises the question, did they change the baseballs that they're using in the regular season as compared to the ones they use in the regular season? Several fans have noted that fly balls that look like deep home runs in the regular season have just ended up being routine fly balls in the postseason. Specifically, ALCS Game 2, a week from tonight, Carlos Correa at the dish in the sixth inning. He destroyed a 98-mile-per-hour fastball from Yankees reliever Tommy Canely. Canely, as soon as he threw the pitch, turned around and cursed in frustration because he, too, thought it was gone. Correa walked away from the batter's box in confidence. He certainly thought it was gone. But it ended up being a lazy fly ball. Several fans were curious on that because, especially those who had watched on excess of 150, 160 games in the regular season, it looked like one of those balls that would have flown out of the park. And that raised the question for a lot of people, why would they change the baseballs from the regular season to the postseason? This is not a new issue, actually. It arose in 2017 when home runs spiked in Major League Baseball, and many question whether the MLB changed the baseballs at that time. I was personally very skeptical at first because the MLB and Rawlings have a long-lasting relationship, and that would involve basically corruption out of the brand provider for Major League Baseball, the Rawlings Baseball Corporation. That would provide them being in on changing the physical makeup within the baseballs that would cause them to fly out of the park with ease. But the MLB has broken its league-wide home run record, and what I mean by that is the combined total of home runs from every single one of its 30 teams for two years in a row. So it was set in the early 2000s, stagnated a while in the 20-teens, and then was broken in 2018, not to be outdone by this season when the Minnesota Twins slugged a record 308 home runs, only one more than the second most home runs hit in a single season, also in 2019, from the New York Yankees, the team that eventually swept them in three games in the ALDS. There are a lot of skeptics who wonder, okay, it's clearly just the colder weather in October, right? Or better pitching. We've seen Garrett Cole of the Astros pitch to an 0-4-0 ERA. Max Scherzer's been really good for Washington. Steven Strasburg's been dominant. Cardinals had some strong pitching in the NLDS. Dodgers weren't exactly pretty. The Yankees had certainly some good outings. James Paxton saved their season on Friday night. But that's really not so. Right off the bat, the colder weather question, the October temperatures on average where these games are being played have been pretty similar to where they were in September. 
don't know if that's necessarily true for Mid-Missouri, but at least where these games are being played, that being Washington, St. Louis, New York, and Houston, haven't been that variant. Also, specifically with Correa's home run, that one was indoors. Minute Maid Park in Houston had the roof closed that evening on a Sunday night, so we can cross that off the list. There's scientific evidence from StatCast that neither cold weather nor better pitching are impacting the lack of home runs in the postseason. This is evidence from Major League Baseball's database, the one they own, the one they prop up, the one they advertise, that being StatCast. On that hit from Correa, and buckle up, people, we're going to get a little nerdy here with some very nuanced and detailed baseball information. The exit velocity, which basically just represents in miles per hour how hard a baseball is struck off the bat of a batter, it registered a 108.8 mile per hour exit velocity at a 27 degree launch angle, and the ball only traveled 396 feet where it was a re- routine fly ball. Carlos Correa off Tommy Canely. To put it in perspective, and this is where people have really started scratching their heads, there were not one, not two, but 88 home runs in the regular season that were exit velocity marked at 104 mile per hour or more with a 27, I should say, degree launch angle in the 2019 regular season. Now, there is the chance for an anomaly here, and I'm no statistic major, but that is a large disparity also abandoned balls in that statistical bracket 199 of them that were hit above 104 mile per hour off the bat they went an average of 409 feet so that's over 13 feet given away from Carlos Correa when combining all of the expected homers based off that statistical bracket in the regular season, 50% less expected, less homers than expected in the postseason. Going back to the weather argument, temperature does not affect drags, and two of those games, the LCS, were played indoors. Interestingly, the thing that this really boils down to is I just don't get why the MLB is being so covert about it. If they change the baseballs, that's fine. It's really resulted in a boom in Major League Baseball. A lot of fans are really interested. Fans want to see fast-paced offense. MLB is branding itself as, quote, let the kids play. A fast-paced, high-energy, home-run-hitting brand of baseball. I just don't get why they won't come out and make any comment on it at all. But doing a little digging, it's worth noting that the Major League Baseball and a private investment group in the regular, right before the regular season started, actually purchased Rawlings, the provider of baseballs. So if they were to change it, that certainly would be in their power. But it's just really interesting to see the statistics are there, the science is there, that the MLB has changed the baseballs in the postseason. My question is, first off, why? My second question is, okay, if they did so, it's not that bad. It's produced an overall better product. But why won't they just come out and say it? It's a very strange hidden trend, and it's not one that's new. In 2017, the World Series, Dodgers pitcher Yu Darvish noticed that the baseball had a, quote, different feel of what he was provided in the World Series in Houston when he pitched. And certainly, they've changed over time 
with the spike in home runs in 2018 and 2019 and the dramatic drop-off in dingers in the MLB postseason in 2019. Will be an interesting scenario to monitor as the World Series gets started on Tuesday night. As for me, I'm about done for now. This has been one of these nights on KCU 88.1 FM. I wish you the best of luck and hope you enjoy a new week on the horizon. Thank you for ending your weekend with me. If you're on the road, I wish you safe travel. Thank you so much for joining me. I wish you the best of luck and God bless.